Our scripture reading is coming from the book of Luke, chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, I shall be reading verses 19 to 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed up in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. May the Lord add blessings to reading of his word. Our preacher this morning is Pastor Asafamakang. Good morning, church family. Praise the Lord. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for the time of singing. Uh, like Brother John was saying, very encouraging when, I, when we were looking at the, the praise and worship as they were singing. Yeah, it struck us that they used to run around, some of them uncontrollably, mothers, mothers struggling to say, hey, this one is not restful, but God is gracious, and we are about shaping lives. And welcome to those who are visiting with us and those who are joining us online. We are seeking to bring to conclusion our stewardship series today. And the best point to bring it to conclusion is on talking about the need for restraint. The need for kuzidzora when spending. <laughs> the need for self-control when it comes to spending. If you win $1 million today in some other way, whatever, what would you do with it? 
The answer to this question is equally difficult for the person who does not know what to do with $100. But somehow we, de- we, we get the impression that if suddenly I have $1 million, then I have so many decisions that I can make. Uh, what must I do? What must I do? It must be pretty difficult. But if you cannot make decisions with $10, you won't make decisions with a million dollars. You see, brothers and sisters, both need to exercise restraint. The one who has a million and the one who has $100, they need to exercise restraint. You can exercise restraint, by the way, without being miserly or stingy. The problem of both the miser and the indulgent person is an overemphasis on material things. One loves to hold money and the other loves to accumulate things. They are all people who worship idols. While we may not have a lot of money holders today, the majority of us will agree that we are slaves to shopping and overspending. Can I have a witness to that? Ah, ah, okay. Thank you for being truthful. But others are saying, no, 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 I'm not a slave to overspending. I'm not a slave to. In Luke chapter 16, the passage that Elder Chimenga read for us, Jesus tells the classic story of a rich man who did not have a heart of giving, especially of his resources, or even himself. This man had plenty opportunity to give out his abundance to the person who was in need, the name Lazarus. But he seemed more interested in feeding his own hunger than Lazarus' hunger. Let's put aside all the eschatological matters because that passage has a lot of things that it talks about, the things that will come. Theologians will make a lot of debate about whether it was a real story or it was a parable. Some Bibles will regard it as a parable or what. Let's put all those aside. Let's glean on the relationship between the rich men and Lazarus. This narrative teaches us that when we fail to deposit what we have and who we are into the lives of others, then we can expect nothing in return. That is the basis of today's message. And so even as we bring our stewardship series to close, Let this coming Christmas rekindle the spirit of giving in our hearts and give us a heart that is sensitive to the needs of the people whom we serve. The other day, I went to some little shop where I was told you can get some few things uh, at good prices and all the like. I was trying to pick things for the basket the social concern appeal. 
And so my little budget had this money. And when I saw the items that I could afford, the immediate thing that came to my heart was, what difference will this make? I almost wanted to leave. But another gentle, soft voice says, that small will make a difference to whoever will receive it. It may not make a huge difference in the whole ocean of needy people in the world, but it will make a world of difference to the one who will receive. How many of us have looked at what we, are, we, what we can possibly do and say, ah, what difference will it make? It makes a difference. So, may God give us that, those hearts that are sensitive to the people who have need. And sometimes God brings those people in our lives so that we can meet their need. I'm thinking of the story of the Good Samaritan. The, the story of the Good Samaritan, this Samaritan did not need to worry about the people he did not see. He needed to worry about the one who was on his pathway. Okay, there are hungry people in Mutare. There are hungry people in Mbare. There are hungry people. But what of those who are just in our pathway? God has given us a spirit that must, I pray that God gives us this spirit that sees the need that comes our way and we can minister. So I wanted to highlight only three lessons from the story of the rich man and Lazarus on giving our resources as well as ourselves to Christ. The first one is, let's live simply, not extravagantly. That idea of living simply is given in opposition to how the rich man lived. The rich man was splendidly clothed. He lived each day in luxury. That is the statement of verse 19. Mm. He was every day preoccupied with how splendidly dressed he was. <laughs> but he was also pretty occupied with how luxurious his lifestyle is. If he ever eats a meal, it must show the signs of luxury. If you play with uh, YouTube and Google, there is one Zimbabwean who comes on Google. No, 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 on YouTube, saying this meal I am eating is a $400 meal. And he is asked, uh, so what do you think? Oh, no, okay, it's my money. 
$400 meal. But that is the lifestyle. The same Zimbabwean citizen would say, hey, my shoe can feed, the price of my shoe can feed the whole town of, I will not mention the town, otherwise you will know. But this is the kind of picture that is painted here. Splendidly clothed and each day living in luxury. What was he demonstrating? That he can buy anything that their heart desires. He can buy homes, he can buy clothes, he can buy cars, he can go to holidays of any choice without even thinking twice. Oh, so now we are thinking, yeah, that's a bad person. You know what? Even average age winner, earners often spend more than that what they can really afford. We have the same tendency to just want to spend. And unrestrained problem, uh, unrestrained spending is a problem, yes, for men and women. Studies show that women are more prone to buy more unnecessary small items often, while men buy fewer but larger and costlier items. And they actually spend more. Any witness to that? And so the argument will be, yeah, no, 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 mine, mine are just small items, but they are small items while they are many. And they are say, no, mine is just one item, but that one item gobbles into all the resources. Some compulsive spenders are just generous gift givers. Yes, they try to buy their happiness. What is scripture telling us, brothers and sisters? Instead of just being preoccupied with splendid dressing, uh, the top-end cars, the most expensive food, what must be our attitude? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 tells us of what must guide the child of God. I'm saying live simply. Brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here. So I warn you to keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. The reminder that we are only sojourners, the reminder that we are only temporarily passing through here, is what the rich man failed to understand. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 8. Yet true religion with contentment is great wealth. After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world, and we certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content, the Bible says. That is what will help us to be able to be restrained so that we can give 
to Christ so that we can give to others, so that we can be a blessing to others. But someone will ask the question, how do I determine what is extravagant and what is not? Well, isn't it that when we read in the Bible, we read of the Proverb 31 woman who is being praised for being rich. So why is this rich man now being condemned? Is that a contradiction? Well, before the Proverb 31 woman bought her fine linen and purple cloth for her family, she gave generously to the poor. That's what we read in verse 20 of Proverbs 31. But the rich man is condemned. Why? He was entirely apathetic toward the poor. He was not having any feelings about this beggar who was living at his gate. In fact, it is amazing that although this beggar lived at his gate and he was not concerned about him, he still knew his name. That even when he was in heaven, he said, hey, Send Lazarus. Ah, you knew his name. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, to live simply, we need to think soberly. And that begins by knowing your purpose. I like what Bill Heibel said. My schedule is far less about what I want to get done and far more about who I want to become. When you know what you want to become, that will define your direction. That will define your purpose. That will define what you will do even with the resources that God would give you. Avoid date. You see, simplicity gives the freedom to concentrate on what matters most. Date destroys it. Yes. You see, it's hard to put the family first when you need to put overtime to pay the bills. It's hard to donate money to church, to charitable causes, when most of your paycheck is already spoken for. It's hard to help others when you are standing in a hole. Avoid date. And to be able to do that, it's restraint. But also declutter your digital life. I'm specific on your digital life. <laughs> mm. while material possessions have been accused a lot as hindrances to simplicity the biggest obstacle to the simple life these days is the digital variety what do I mean the biggest sabotage to our desire to concentrate on what matters most in life, our smartphones. It is through the smartphones that this 
unquenchable desires are just being created because you are seeing this one who is boasting about this, this one who is boasting about this, this one who is looking, standing on, on the screen, the screen, the screen, the screen. Instead of being present with the kids, we are checking the mail. We have the desire to study, yes, in solitude, but we just can't stop rolling, rolling, uh, pushing, pushing, pushing. How many of us even got tempted to go to this other, to check out this, even when you are in church? We say we love our family, and most of all, but we spend more time in looking into the glowing screen than into the spouse's eyes. More time consulting the oracle of Google than that of scripture. Unfortunately, we are now giving birth to little persons who are coming into the world as if they were born with phones in their hands. And the parents are more excited to say, no, if you wanted to just make them quiet, give them a phone. Shame. And although we feel guilty and restless in wasting time on insignificant and trivial matters, you know what? We just keep doing it. Even now, someone is saying, yeah, yeah, I'm being convicted, but as soon as you come out, you just go to do that. Live simply. Declutter your world. And in order to live simply, this is a profound statement I am going to make. We need to give away what we are not using. Because if we don't use it, we don't need it. How many things are there at home that we are not using. Give it away. It will simplify your life. I'm sure you have heard the story of a person who built his house and was very happy about the house. Uh, but then he began to be bothered by the sources they did put a fence and after the fence then the fence was cut and then they put a wall around the fence now what are you protecting the fence the house and what and what live simply but also live generously that is in opposition to selfishly the rich man spent lavishly on himself, but completely ignored the need of poor Lazarus. He knew he was there at the gate. He even knew his name, but he ignored his need. He gave him nothing. He didn't care at all. His real problem actually was not wealth, but selfishness and lack of compassion. All of us must prayerfully determine 
what lifestyle we will be satisfied with, and how much we need to earn and to spend so that we feel we are content. But there is no biblical formula to apply. Each of us need to draw the line and somehow say, Lord, this is enough. The human appetite will always say, it's not enough, it's not enough. Draw the line and say, Lord, I am thankful, this is enough. Let me make an illustration using pastors if you think uh, pastors don't struggle with the same. 200 pastors gathered for a workshop. The guest speaker asked for the reason why the church never had enough money to do the mission and to assist others in a creative way. The gathered pastors brainstormed and talked and they all agreed to accuse greed and selfishness. So they told the speaker and say, the, the real reason why the church is failing to is because of greed and selfishness. Then the speaker asked a seemingly innocent question. Is it then possible for a person to build a house so large that it is sinful? Hmm. Hmm? Sinful in the eyes of God, he qualified. Raise your hands if you think so. Guess what? All the 200 pastors raised their hands. Okay, said the preacher. Then can you tell me at exactly what size the precise square footage a certain house becomes sinful to occupy? And then there was silence across the whole room. You could almost hear the pin drop. There was silence. Mm. How do we measure? Finally, a small quiet voice from the back of the room. When it is bigger than mine. We don't have to condemn others because we don't know all the facts. The Lord is speaking to us. <laughs> you see, this even this quiet voice is saying, only when it has become bigger than mine, have you become the standard? <laughs> what that means is all the pastors there were even guilty. Your lifestyle decision must include how much you must give away. When you give generously, you enjoy more things, the Bible tells us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone, but their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Wow. Remember that the most critical property is a spiritual property. And what does that mean? If you do not have spiritual life, you are poor. So that is the worst poverty that can happen. 
Lack of spiritual life is extreme poverty. John 6 verse 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread is my flesh offered so the world may live. I like that. So as the Lord blesses us with things, let us never forget that we can be rich this way, but let us never be poor spiritually. What we need is discerned spending. The title is The Need for Restraint When Spending. But how do we determine? Since you said it's up to you, well, so that you do not accuse me of not giving you sufficient guidelines, here are some thoughts to help us to have discerned spending. Why am I buying this? Is this purchase consistent with my financial status? How will this buy impact my Christian witness? Will this purchase enhance my closest relationships? But have I been generous with my resources prior to this purchase? What a, what a sobering thought to just carry in your mind. But let's go to number six. How much will I have left over to help someone in an emergence in the near future? When was the last time I made a similar expenditure? Because every spending decision is a spiritual decision. You must also ask, have I prayed and waited on this decision? Or this is an impulse buy? How will I feel after this purchase? Guilt or joy? But that item I'm buying, where is it in my priorities? Then it helps us to have discerned spending. Lastly, but not least, live for eternity. And that is in opposition to just for this world. You see, the rich man, as he lived preoccupied with clothing and adorning himself and feeding himself, he said, this is it. He did not know there is a life to come. He lived only for this life. He didn't think about dying. He didn't think about his own accountability to God for his life and even for his lifestyle. Since he lived an indulgent, selfish, and worldly lifestyle, he ended up separated from God in hell. And what an irony. He was now begging for Lazarus to relieve his pain. How do you beg for the one you despised to come and relieve your pain? Oh, Father Abraham, just send Lazarus to come and dip the end 
tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in torment here. Brothers and sisters, live for eternity. Uh, we, we are celebrating with brother Jonathan uh, the passing of his mother at 102 uh, said for, for, for Brother Jonathan to, to lose a, a parent, but also a reason to say, wow, Lord, that was a good life. But Brother Jonathan was telling me that in their family there was one who passed after, you said how many? One hundred and forty. I was just baffled when he was. So, so they, the family knows longevity. They know longevity. But even one forty is nothing compared to eternity. And then, what does the Bible says? According to Job fourteen, man born of a woman has fewer days, and what are they full of? Trouble. They are full of trouble. So live in light of eternity. Live for eternity. To live for eternity means you know that it does not matter whatever we have here. Beautiful uh, difficulties. Even when we go through difficulties, we know they will come to pass. When we have joy, we know joy will come to pass. When we have strength, we know strength will come to pass. Thus, we live for eternity. So, how do we live for eternity? It's investing into eternity. Depositing into that which counts in eternity. Brothers and sisters, there is plenty opportunity in this church for you to invest in eternal matters. For you to give towards. For you to sacrifice for the sake of of Christ. We would talk of our own church premises. We would talk of the perimeter wall. We could talk of the building of the third month. We would talk of the need for the refurbishment of the musical instruments. The need for training people in ministry. The need for sending missionaries. There is plenty. Live for eternity. But did you notice the spirit of the word of God is that it's, it's not equal giving. It's not, it's not $10 per person. It's not $5 per person. It's not $1 each, each. No, 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 no. As the Lord blesses you. But the sacrifice is similar. Not equal giving, but similar sacrifice. What do I mean? Would you consider a voluntary wartime lifestyle? <laughs> That's crazy. Meaning, you see, in wartime, sometimes people ration things. Restraining your spending. Forgo a meal and support mission work. That's how 
others have done. We must invest in heaven as well as on earth in things that will last forever. And things that will last forever, it's souls and the word of God. It's souls and the word of God. You go to that primary school, you go to that one secondary school, you go to that university, and one person says, I receive Jesus, and suddenly they are on fire for Jesus. That is investing in eternity. You will say, well, it was just a prayer. No, it was not just a prayer. The great evangelist organized a big crusade with thousands and thousands of dollars poured into this evangelism crusade. And they had all week preaching and there was no convert. On the last day of the crusade, they made an altar call. And only one young boy came and gave his life to the Lord. When the evangelist returned, they gave a report. They said, this mission was very difficult. We did not have so many responses. On the last day, there was only one boy who came forward. And so they wrote in their books as the crusade unsuccessful. But do you know who that little boy was? It was Billy Graham. Who, in God's own wisdom, turned the world. It makes a difference what you do. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus for the admonition for us to live simply, to live generously, to live for eternity. But yes, Lord, I pray that we just don't talk about these things. We start now. Help us to start now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, even as we now come to the Lord's table, the Lord's table is a wonderful opportunity for us to fellowship with the Father, to fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. But what a reminder that God gave his very own son. God's love is shown in how he was willing to give of his own son Jesus for you and me today to be the children of God. So let us pray. While they set the system, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the table that is now set before us. We pray that you would help us by your spirit to commune with you, but also to fathom how deep, how high, how wide your love for us is. And in turn, Lord, you will help us to live simply, generously, 
and for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.